0: If you're feeling extra tired, moody, depressed, or confused these days, you're a person with a pulse living in the year 2020. But these are also all signs of seasonal affective disorder, or aptly SAD. And just as we're making our way to this long year's finish line, SAD has arrived right on cue, making us more unmotivated by the minute. However, science says there is something that can help improve our mood, changing what we eat, giving new meaning to the term comfort food, The key to optimal health may lie with nutrition. New research suggests when you eat and drink can also be critical. Not to depress you any further, but that liquid life in your coveted morning cup of Joe, you may have been drinking it wrong this entire time. Whether it's pinpointing the perfect time to drink coffee or finding just the right mix of nutrients to keep your brain sane, the road to good health may not begin with a single step, but with the first bite or sip. Welcome to the Abstract Podcast from Inverse. I'm Tanya Bustos, your host. Our first story explores the direct link between nutrition and mental health. As seasonal affective disorder takes its yearly toll, research suggests certain foods can help ease the winter blues. Our second story pinpoints the perfect time to drink coffee. Found to influence the metabolism, your morning cup of joe can significantly affect your health over time. It just depends on how and when you take it. This is The Abstract, a look at the latest scientific discoveries and technology innovations from the reporters at Inverse. In each episode, we explore a single theme through two different stories. Up now, why nutrition might be the key to optimal mental health, plus two critical food and mental health misconceptions explained by scientists.
1: This is formally known not as the winter blues, but a seasonal affective disorder, or SAD. AKA SAD. Wow. It's kind of what it sounds like. The worsening of the symptoms of depression, which occurs with the changing of the seasons. Sleeping a lot. Seasonal affective disorder. But still tired.
0: SAD. What causes it?
1: Is it severe in some and a minor irritation in others?
0: And then what can we do to make it better slash go away? Seasonal Affective Disorder, or SAD, affects about 10 million Americans every year, and it starts to ramp up during the end of fall and into early winter. It's a type of depression characterized by the change in seasons, meaning symptoms can last for about four to five months per year. Scientists don't completely understand what causes SAD, but for treatment, there's long been strong evidence that supports various forms of psychotherapy and medication. However, there's a new conversation around another potential preventative measure, something so obvious that perhaps it's been overlooked the whole time. Food. The latest research says what we eat can play a huge role in mitigating symptoms of depression and can maybe even help with this year's round of seasonal affective disorder. Inverses, Mind and Body editor Sarah Sloat joins us with more. Hey, Sarah. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, so again, scientists don't completely get What causes seasonal affective disorder, but what's most commonly theorized?
1: It's most commonly theorized to come back to the relationship neurotransmitters have with sunlight and an overproduction of melatonin. You know, maybe it it has to do with the lack of sunlight, which could upset your biological clock and cause issues with serotonin. That goes back to the idea of neurotransmitters. But they're still teasing out the differences because, you know, most people experience this form of depression in the winter, but some people actually feel it in the summer. So those differences are still being teased out in research.
0: I do know there are a bunch of ways to tackle this issue, whether it be through therapy or technology. I have a friend in London who actually uses a light seat Mm -hmm. for her SAD disorder, which is different, which is just to say that there are a bunch of irons in this fire. It is such a huge issue for a lot of people. What kind of treatment is Available. What have we relied on thus far? Yeah, I mean, your friend's on the right track. For, for treatment, there is strong
1: evidence supporting the use of bright light therapy. You know, maybe you've heard of Happy Lamps. I have one, I like it a lot. There's also evidence for cognitive behavioral therapy and an FDA approved antidepressant called Welbutrin XL. But lately, there's conversation around another potential preventative measure, which is food. And there's not enough explicit research on food and seasonal affective disorder to say definitive things, but there are increasing amounts of studies showing a robust and positive link between nutrition and positive mental health.
0: So when it comes to this nutrition, obviously there's no magic food, but are there specific foods known to provide the mental nutrients we need to fight off depression?
1: Yes. So... A trial conducted in Australia called the SMILES trial looked at this question exactly. And, and it was the first trial of its kind to investigate the question of, if I improve my diet, will my mood improve? And a group within the study received what they called dietary intervention. You know, they had support and nutritional counseling. You know, they were educated about their diet. But the, the diet explicitly that they followed was a modified Mediterranean diet. So this included, but it wasn't limited to whole grains, vegetables, fish, olive oil, you know, what they called extra foods like processed meats and sugary drinks were limited to no more than three a week. The results of that study showed that the dietary intervention group had a much greater reduction in their depressive symptoms over the 3-month period compared to a group that only received social support. You know, the study authors told me that the a traditional Norwegian or Japanese diet would be equally useful. You know, again, these are diets that do not contain high amounts of processed foods are very vegetable heavy. And that likely comes down to what makes up the good food that we eat, and those are micronutrients. That was explained to me by Kathleen Holton, a nutritional neuroscientist at American University. But essentially... Vitamins and minerals serve as important cofactors in the production of neurotransmitters. So, a deficiency in micronutrients like vitamin D and magnesium can cause abnormal neurotransmission, and that could potentially lead to some mental illness. She noted to me that magnesium rich foods are, quote, especially important for individuals suffering from anxiety disorders. And so in turn, high magnesium foods are helpful in combating poor mental health. And those are foods that include things like seeds, nuts, salmon, buckwheat, the good stuff.
0: Yeah, exactly. Which also helps. And really, you know, the relationship between diet and mental health is not a new one but it's a field of study that's been fairly overlooked. Are you encouraged, as as we're seeing more studies like this, do you think that that's starting to change? So the whole
1: field of nutritional psychiatry is only a few years old, but it is rapidly gaining ground. And, you know, I would I would hope there would be research that examines nutrition and seasonal affective disorder more explicitly soon. There's also a risk of... Overcorrection. You know, this idea um, of one superfood being claimed to be a cure-all or magic bullet. You know, that's something that scientists are always, always cautioning against. But, you know, when a study comes out, you hear that, let's say, acai berries are amazing for you. Then suddenly they're in every store. The repeating theme in the world of health is this idea of a holistic approach. You know, various factors influence the whole And to have a healthy body, you have to take care of yourself in a number of ways, including sleep, exercise,
0: and and diet. Right. And we continue to land on that theme throughout our conversations on this podcast as well. Listeners can head to inverse.com to read more about Sarah's latest coverage on the relationship between nutrition and mental health. Thanks for the time, Sarah. Thank you for having me. While studies have proven coffee can help protect the heart and promote longevity, one study suggests when you have it can be a crucial factor to avoid unintended effects on the metabolism. Up next, science pinpoints the perfect time to drink coffee.
2: All right, we need to have a little talk about coffee. Just drinking a cup of coffee could be the best thing you do all day. Does drinking coffee after a heavy meal accelerate or decelerate metabolism?
0: Every exit on every highway in this country has a coffee shop off of it, and yet we're getting fatter. So how is it helping us burn fat if we're drinking coffee? In other words, do we get fatter or not by doing this? So
2: if you want more performance out of every single aspect of your life, you need to get a little bit more granular about when you add caffeine. No, seriously, most people drink coffee at the wrong time of the day what if I told you you've been drinking your coffee incorrectly this entire time?
0: It's a vicious cycle, staying up late into the night and then reviving yourself in the all-too-early morning with a cup of strong coffee. While the caffeine may wake you up, it could also have a negative impact on your metabolism. According to a study published October 2020 in the journal British Journal of Nutrition, one single bad night's sleep is not likely to impair your metabolism. However, having coffee before breakfast the next day can. While the coffee can help make you feel alert, it may be limiting your body's ability to tolerate the sugar in your breakfast. And even though other studies have shown coffee to help protect the heart and promote longevity, the latest research suggests when you have it can be a crucial factor to avoid unintended effects on metabolism. Here to explain more is Inversus Ali Patillo. Hey, Ali. Hey, Tanya. So let's talk about the study first. How exactly did it figure out that... It may be better to wait until after breakfast to have the coffee that you need after a bad night's sleep. Yeah. So first off, it's really important to note that this
2: is a relatively small study. It's only 29 healthy men and women. So the findings need to be replicated with larger groups of people. But the researchers do say there are some takeaways. And the way they found those takeaways is that basically this group of people participated in three overnight experiments in random order. The first was where they had just a normal night's sleep, about eight hours, and consumed a sugary drink upon waking in the morning. The second condition was that they experienced a disrupted night's sleep, and this would be kind of everybody's worst nightmare, but basically the researchers woke them every hour for five minutes using these specifically designed texting prompts that they had to respond to, and then upon waking, they were given that same sugary drink. And the third condition was where they experienced that sleep disruption, but were first given a strong black coffee 30 minutes before consuming the sugary drink. And initially at the start of the study, the researchers also measured these participants' height and weight and waist circumference and different health metrics, like how good their sleep normally is, their mood, their appetite. And after completing each condition, the researchers took samples of their blood, after drinking the sugary drink, which the drink was designed to kind of mirror the calories that would be in a typical breakfast. And then they analyzed all these results and they found that consuming the strong black coffee after broken sleep substantially increased the blood glucose response to breakfast by about 50%, which was pretty significant in this study in particular. Now this shift doesn't necessarily mean someone is suddenly at risk for diabetes or other metabolic disorders, but the scientists say that if this spike is happening every morning, there could be long-term health outcomes.
0: Let's talk a little bit more about the link in general because there seems to be this link between sleep disruption and impaired metabolism, let's call it. What do we know about a possible connection?
2: Yeah, so I mean, sleep is important for so many bodily functions outside of metabolism. You know, when we sleep, we're repairing bodily damage, we're processing the day's events, we're encoding memories, and it helps keep the immune system functioning optimally. And it also helps keep our metabolism running smoothly. And it's important to note that, you know, one night of bad sleep or an all-nighter isn't going to immediately throw your metabolism out of whack. But chronic sleep deprivation has been associated with impaired glucose metabolism, increased risk of developing type 2 diabetes, and cardiovascular disease. So these are downstream effects um, that
0: no one really wants. It's so interesting because for a lot of people, This can be such a sad routine, right? Needing a strong cup of coffee in the morning after not getting enough sleep. It's all too familiar for so many of us. So I guess it's something to think about. If this response, if this protocol is repeated over long periods of time, could there then be some real long-term health impacts to consider?
2: Yeah, so the bottom line from these findings is that drinking coffee after that bad night's sleep, it might make you wake up and make you feel more alert, but it may limit your body's ability to tolerate the sugar in your breakfast. And according to the researchers, there are some long-term health impacts to consider. They basically say that single occasions of this elevated blood glucose responses that are seen in the study can be predictive of cardiometabolic events in the future and could even lead to reduced insulin sensitivity. Again, this is a really small, limited- study and other factors like how much somebody works out or is physically active needs to be considered before predicting any long-term outcomes. It's also possible that our body clocks may just adjust to the morning spike in blood glucose. And really only bigger, larger studies will be able to answer those questions.
0: Yeah, again, this was a small study. You know, but considering how many people drink coffee, not just for the caffeine after you know a rough night's sleep, it's obviously proven to have some real health benefits and some people just like it. How can we best hack in these latest findings to our daily coffee drinking routines?
2: Yeah, I mean, Tanya, you're exactly right. About half of people around the world will wake up in the morning and before doing anything else or starting their day, they'll drink coffee. And often, you know, the more tired we feel, the stronger the coffee. I am absolutely that person But this study does suggest that maybe you should just have your coffee after breakfast, not before, if you want to support a healthy metabolism. And I have to say, yes, this is a very very small, limited study, but it has definitely made me personally question the timing of my cup, although I have to say sometimes you just need coffee as soon as you can get it. It's absolutely a personal choice, but these findings are really interesting um, if you are concerned about your metabolism operating optimally.
0: As always, something to think about. Listeners can head to inverse.com for the full story. Thanks so much, Allie. Thanks, Tanya. Head to inverse.com to read more about the latest links between nutrition and overall health. You can find links in the show notes for all stories we talked about today. If you agree that science and facts matter more than ever, give us a rating and review on iTunes to help more people find The Abstract and other podcasts like it. New episodes of The Abstract are released three times a week. Find old episodes and more original reporting on science, innovation, culture and entertainment at inverse.com. Got something to say? Email us at theabstract at inverse.com with any questions, suggestions, story ideas, and anything else on your mind. Look for The Abstract Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or whichever podcast app you use. For Inverse, I'm Tanya Bustos. Thanks for listening.